Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Before we introduce this week's guest, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Airy Pharmaceuticals. Airy is a clinical stage pharmaceutical company that is focused on the discovery, the development, and the commercialization of first-in-class therapies for patients with glaucoma and other diseases of the eye. Thank you, Airy Pharmaceuticals, for sponsoring the OIS podcast. I was actually able to thank Airy Pharmaceuticals directly because our guest is the CEO and chairman, Vince Anito. Just so happened that uh, Airy has had a killer month, and Vince had the time after uh, having its the company annual meeting and a whole other series of travel. Uh, Vince was able to sit down with us for a few minutes to talk about Aries. great bit of news. Of course, number one on the list is the positive review of Repressa by the FDA Advisory Committee, the Dermatologic and Ophthalmic Drugs Advisory Committee. And uh, Repressa got an, an outstanding review by this, uh, this group uh, out of 20 positive votes on two different votes. Repressa scored 19 of them, and Vince will go over that view, that vote in this conversation. He'll also talk a bit about Aries War Room, what it was, uh, what it was designed to do, and uh, how it helped the company sort of shape the news of the day. In addition to the great news about Repressa's uh, positive review by the committee, Vince also looks a bit of ahead, a bit ahead, tells us uh, the the additions that Aries will be making to prepare for a commercial rollout, hopefully when the uh, final approval from the FDA comes. And he also talks a bit about uh, new uh, technology that Aerie has brought in, a, a drug delivery technology called Print that it acquired from a company it's known quite well called Invisia. So Vince will uh, talk a bit about that tech also. Finally, we'll get an update on Rocklatan, which is uh, recording some positive news on the regulatory front as well. But before we get into this interview with Vince Anito, I did want to remind you that OIS at AAO is happening on November 9th in New Orleans. You should go to OIS.net to check out the agenda. Good news is the agenda is finalized and it's actually coming your way. It should be sent to your inbox if you're signed up to receive our marketing emails. Or again, you can go to OIS.net to see it yourself. Lots of new topics, lots of uh, great conversations, things that you will recognize, but but some new features as well. Guild Climate has uh, another innovative uh, discussion up his sleeve, and we'll also be hearing from some uh, some un- previously unheard from players uh, in ophthalmology, including chief medical officers, and uh, it should be a great day. So go to OIS.net, register to attend OIS at AAO. Now let's get into this conversation with Vince Anito of Airy Pharmaceuticals. Vince Anito, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Tom, it's great to talk to you again. I, do, I rarely have the opportunity to speak to the entity that is sponsoring the podcast, but as luck would have it, and it wasn't planned this way, Airy is the sponsor of this week's OIS podcast, so... Thanks for the support. You've always been a great supporter of our uh, our podcast and our content, and I actually do appreciate it. Well, it's always our pleasure. I think the uh, the stronger that we can make uh, the whole ophthalmology community and the more communication we can get out there about every all the great things everybody's doing, the better off we are. That's our that's our goal. So thanks for thanks for 
toting our line. But we've got big news to talk about. This is uh, you had a great week last week. Uh, you had the, the FDA advisory committee vote on Repressa, two votes, and uh, they were overwhelming. You can get into them, but uh, let's let's get into the sort of the, the process that day. You, this is something I'm not sure if, if it's done all the time. Uh, you, you halted stock on your days. The, you didn't trade your every stock in the day. Is that typically what happens when a advisory board is 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 reviewing a drug? Is the stock halted? It is. Um, so it's it's pretty normal uh, during an advisory committee meeting. What happens is it's live show. Sure. There are cameras there. There are investors in the room. There are stock analysts in the room, et cetera. And so what happens is um, you know, if we didn't halt the stock, they can actually just be tweeting out of there and, and the stock will be flying all over the place depending on uh, on what was going on. And so we do uh, halt the stock trading as did Sparks the day before. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it's very, very common. And so, uh, you know, we tried to uh, – get a press release all set to go. And obviously we do both the plus and the minuses in the, in the press release or have different versions just depending on what happens. And we typically try to get the press release out shortly after the vote. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is NASDAQ won't open trading until the company releases the uh, something regarding to the, uh, the uh, results of the advisory uh, So it, ha- it has to come from you can't be the news reports Correct. or anything it like isn't, that. It isn't on them. It isn't on anybody else. That's mm-hmm. right. It's on us. Interesting. And so uh, while we were sitting there shortly after the vote was taken, there's obviously, there were three questions or actually two questions and then uh, one sort of open-ended uh, section for comments on, on our um, package insert or our label. And so while that was going on, I had uh, my head of PR, who's an outside group, uh, Burns McClellan, actually sitting next to me. And we were going through the press release. We actually had a war room set up off-site at a hotel that had had a direct feed from the advisory committee uh, room. And so we were just going live back and forth, uh, making sure the press release was correct. exactly what we were, we were trying to do. And then so uh, shortly after... The meeting was actually over. We hit the button. The press release went out, and it, it's about a oh thirty minute or so. I can't remember the exact time frame, but called thirty minute delay from the time that the press release sort of crosses the wires to the, the time they open trading. So they officially open trading at two twenty um, Eastern time. Mm-hmm. So there's still a little bit of time left, and and so obviously uh, folks thought it was. Pretty good result. That's great. I love the the war room concept. You always love that term. So is that just just so for the marketing folks and the and the press the PR folks just to monitor what's going on and then they sort of look to not spin in in a positive way, you know, one way or the other. Not spin the news in a positive way, but to to be able to respond to whatever results come out of the uh, come out of the committee. What is that? What the war room is designed for? Yeah, it is. And so they do have a live feed into the room so they can see everybody. They have folks um, like my, the guy that was sitting next to me who runs PR force. And so he's in there checking all the tweets that are going on and just checking the blogs and, and alike. But we have to have people off site that are more focused on uh, the content component and seeing what changes we have to make in, in the press release. And so it could always go, you never know which way it's going to go, right? Sure. So yep. we were very, very confident. We had an awful lot of prep. We started prepping, gosh, you know, all the way back in April, we started getting ready for this thing. Amazing. And so, um, yeah, so the uh, the uh, war room is literally a conference room with a big screen. It's got a, a direct feed into the meeting room itself. 
And then we've got everything set up uh, with direct lines to NASDAQ and, you know, on and on and on and on. So, and then um, by having somebody sitting next to me, I don't have to be sitting there on my phone. I can be focused on what's going on during the advisory. Sure, sure. And so they're the ones that are making the changes and he'll tap me on the shoulder every once in a while and and show me what uh, the latest release is. Interesting. Do you... Going into these things, obviously anything can happen at one of these meetings. Um, but did did you go in, or do you typically go in with an idea of what the outcome will be, or is it just hold your breath time? <laughs> well, anytime that you have a panel of experts, you're holding your breath. Sure. And now the the we do get a heads up in a way, only because um, two days prior to the meeting itself, the FDA makes their briefing document available to the public. Now, this is the briefing document that they've accumulated. We also have turned in a briefing document, which obviously we have generated based on the data and what we plan on presenting and and obviously our thoughts on what the product does and the clinical trial results and the statistics and so forth and so on. And so the um, they put out their, their um, the briefing document. And so it came out on Wednesday morning. And so if you go back uh, a couple of days prior to the advisory committee meeting, you'll see that uh, the day before the briefing document went out, the Sparks briefing document went out uh-huh. and it was very positive. Mm-hmm. And so our stock went up 5%. So the day, the next morning, because Sparks' meeting was on Thursday, ours was on Friday. So the next morning when our briefing document came out and all of a sudden uh, people realize that the questions that were being asked were pretty consistent with everything that we've always talked about. There was no major new news and certainly nothing negative in the briefing document. It was pretty straightforward. There was no surprises at all from the agency in terms of uh, the content. And so our stock ran hard. And so all of a sudden we just jumped over the $60 per share mark and and obviously you stayed up there and uh, we've been trading just shy of our all time high, which is $66 and 10 cents. Terrific. And Correct. so, um, so we do get a heads up as a result of that. And so uh, there's always a lot of moving parts, you know, little things like, you know, originally we thought we were going to get 45 minutes to present our story. Then it went up to an hour and a half. And then two days prior to the uh, committee meeting itself, it became an hour. <laughs> the guys are constantly having to change and, and the like. But from a prep point of view, believe it or not, we had probably a hundred and some slides that, that we went through in, in our one hour presentation. We had over a thousand slides prepared as backup wow. for any questions that could possibly come up. That's impressive. And it makes me appreciate the six minute limit we have at uh, at OAS and I know <laughs> I know you CEOs bristle against it, but but I can see why you're prepared to for more time to tell your story. That's uh thanks for the inside look on that. That's uh, I always imagine it's a it's a, 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 a day of frenzy, but it's a frenzy you can prepare for and and and, uh, and prepare for every contingency and I'm, and it sounds like that's what you did. Let's get into into the vote itself. So uh, t- there there were two questions, as you noted. One, the first uh, results were ten to nothing. The second were nine to one. Let's get what's your your post game uh, analysis of of the two votes. What was what was the message that you received? Well, they're both pretty similar questions. You know, one was purely efficacy. The other one was e- efficacy versus you know the safety. So you know the risk assessment. And so to get a total on two questions of nineteen to one is pretty damn good. So obviously the 10-0 on the efficacy side was great on the nine one 
the only dissenting vote came from a biostatistician, not hmm. for someone you know, who actually treats patients. And so you know, they were just looking at it from a numbers point of view and so and from a statistics point of view. But I think uh, more telling, if you go back to the transcript of the, of the results, are the comments that the uh, practicing ophthalmologists that were around the table made about the expected impact that they have for Repressa on their patients. And I think that that's what won the day for us. That's, that's the, those are the folks you certainly want in your corner. So where do, where do you go from from here? You've uh, already started making some hiring. You had your, your, your company meeting this week. I'm sure it was a, a, a very positive tone to it. What, uh, well, what was the week like for the company meeting? It must have been a very, very exciting time. And, and, and what do you anticipate happening next in terms of preparing for the ultimate approval? Because you don't obviously have it yet, or do you go forward? What, what's your, I guess, what is your mindset going forward? I'm talking myself into a different question. You've got the advisory committee behind you. But what's uh? But wh- how do you look at the next part of the process? Well, I thought for a minute that you were going to answer your own question. <laughs> I could do that, but I don't know if I'd get it yes. right. Um, so uh, I'll, t- I'll take you back again to the advisory committee meeting. The last point on the agenda was something that was pretty unusual for the FDA. They actually put up an example or a draft of our package insert or our label, and asked for additional comments. And so they spent you know some period of time going through and. And making suggestions to the FDA about you know things that, that should be on the label or some things that were on the label that perhaps weren't quite as clear as they expected them to be, et cetera. What's unusual about that is that um, you know I've done four or five of these uh, advisory committee meetings. I've never seen one where the labels put up. Um, I've talked to some other CEOs and none of them can remember uh, a label going up. So in essence, we entered label negotiations with the FDA at this meeting. Wow. And so the fun part for us is that uh, the label that they have up there was was relatively straightforward. It's very similar to the package insert or the label that you see for other glaucoma medications. So there was no nothing unusual, no restrictions, the same indication that uh, is available for all the other medications that are available for glaucoma today. And so all that was really great news for us because it's a great starting point for the balance of the discussions that leads with the clinical section of the FDA, which is on a label. We still have a number of different things to go through uh, from a uh, chemistry manufacturing controls, that's a CMC side, on you know final inspections of the various sites because they inspect everything from our raw material manufacturer all the way through the clinical sites, et cetera. So uh, we want to make sure that all those get done correctly and on a timely basis. And so, um, you know, from our perspective, we view this as very, very positive. It could always go bad at the end, you know, and but it feels like right now it's going to be, if it goes negative, it's only going to be based on, um, you know, some delay with, a, you know, say, our contract manufacturer mm-hmm. or something like that. But, you know, we feel pretty good about where we are and, and certainly feel that, that all of our suppliers are ready to be inspected. So that's a good thing for us. So we are looking forward to... Uh, February 28th approval. And who knows, maybe, you know, leaving come a little bit early because if the FDA runs out of things to ask us, maybe uh, that'll lead to an early uh, early approval and we'll be, we'll be ready either way. And as you can imagine, with an outcome like that, uh, our company-wide meeting this past week was obviously an awful lot of fun, high level of enthusiasm. We had uh, uh, the folks begin to understand what it's like to have in the same room the medicinal chemists who invented the chemical structure, cool. the clinical people who actually studied it, 
and now the, and the guys who are going to make it and the guys who are going to commercialize it. It's not very often in our industry where you actually get to meet the folks who invented your chemical structure. That's really neat. It just doesn't happen. And so uh, it's an incredible time. Uh, we went through the history of the company, which, as you know, <laughs> just in, in, in our short time here, about four years, it certainly hasn't been a straight line. I mean, there's like you know, it's a lot of ups and downs, good news and bad news. Mm-hmm. And we survived all that. And everybody in the company got to hear the same thing. So we spent the first day really just talking about who we are and how we got here, et cetera. And then the second day about the future. So we talked about the commercial plans and the launches and how we're scaling up for that. We also talked about things like what are in the pipeline. Um, and especially uh, uh, in our, our last OIS presentation at the Retina meeting, we started unveiling some additional information about what's in the pipeline, which is basically drugs for the treatment of wet AMD or diabetic macular edema, et cetera. And so we talked a lot about that and also about our latest acquisition of the print technology from Invisia, mm-hmm. which allows us to take a small molecule, make a very small insert, um, and uh, be able to pack that with a specific polymer for our molecules, inject those into the back of the eye, and have efficacy that runs out anywhere from six to eight months uh, for any one of those conditions that we just talked about. So that's all great news for us. And so everybody came out of there very, very excited, not only about understanding of the history of the company, but also about the future. And then we also highlighted the fact that you know, we now have almost 20 employees in Ireland. You know, we have our European headquarters in Athlone, I'm sorry, in Dublin. We have our manufacturing facility in Athlone, which is right in the middle of the island. Mm-hmm. And so for the first time, the folks from Ireland got a chance to tell their story about how they're going to fit in and where they are with the plant. And uh, it's just uh, it's just a great atmosphere. And obviously, it uh, was very positive given the results of the advisory committee. That's That sounds like a great week. Going going back one one notch to, to getting the label from the FDA, do you feel that was something unique for ARI? Uh, or is this yeah. sort of a sign that the FDA is... is just becoming more efficient in how they're, they're doing things for, for everyone. Well, it's only very different, right? And so I've never seen it before. Uh, this is something that's usually they hold pretty close to their vest. And mm-hmm. we, when we saw that question, we were pretty surprised. And, you know, they didn't ask for a vote. All they asked for was input. And so it was pretty open-ended. And, and some of the things that the advisory committee members wanted, uh, were making suggestions about, are typically things that you just don't see on a label. So the FDA had to explain some of that. So, um, but it was a great vote. Uh, it, it was a great um, sign for us. Mm-hmm. And I think it just goes to show that if you have a complete set of meetings with the FDA, you have a lot of open dialogue with the FDA and uh, your clinical trial results are um, straightforward and, and you do in essence, what's required of us, in order to get these drugs approved, that things can move faster at times. And and doesn't mean that it will all the time. But mm-hmm. Certainly, this is a good indication that uh, we did the right things. Great. And going forward with Repressa, assuming you do get that approval uh, on or before February 28th, how does this change the, the, the look of ARI in terms of number of people, uh, you know, number of fo- new folks brought in? 
uh, what's going to happen over the next couple of months? Well, we've got uh, right now about 150 people in the company. We'll finish the calendar year with about 160, maybe 165 folks, and we'll probably double that by next summer. And while there will be additions in all sorts and just about every department of the company between now and next summer, the bulk of it is coming from the commercial group. Mm-hmm. So we've already started, as you as you noted, uh, we brought in Judy Robertson, who runs our commercial operations. Uh, she brought in the team, uh, Gary Manichini and Dale Seep, who run both uh, the sales side as well as the uh, the managed care side, which is very, very critical for us, as you know. And then we brought in DM Malloy, who runs our marketing group. So they're getting ready to launch. And we've uh, brought in two regional sales directors uh, who are starting to to uh, look at district managers. Uh, we also brought in two regional managed care guys who are uh, at the invitation of a lot of these managed care organizations. We're allowed to come in and do introductory presentations to them about the products. Obviously, there's no negotiations or anything like that going on, but it's just showing the face, talking preliminarily about what the products do in anticipation of that February launch meeting, uh, February approval. So that then uh, by the time that we launch, we will have uh, been able to accomplish what we need to accomplish, which is getting on the commercial plans uh, as quickly as possible. Um, and then on the Medicare Part D plans, those submissions go in next April. And so between February and April, we'll be doing negotiations with those plans. Uh, assuming approval at the end of February, we'll go through negotiations will get included in most of those formularies and that'll be for reimbursement towards the end of the calendar year. And so um, all those activities are ongoing. The positioning product is ongoing. Our medical affairs team um, is actually uh, very active on the uh, uh, getting uh, all of our data out in either podium presentations, posters, or publications, et cetera. And we're doing this on a global basis because as you know, we own these products outright. And so we're doing a lot of work, not only obviously for the launch here in the U.S., but also getting ready for the things that we're doing in Europe as well as Japan. And I did want to follow up on the uh, the Invisia uh, acquisition, the assets of of the the print technology. Is this how, how did this deal come about, and and um, where does it fit into your your entire pipeline? We focus on small molecules, and so we know that in order to prolong the life of these small molecules, that uh, in something other than eye drops, we have to have some sort of delivery system because small molecules, unlike large proteins that, that are available for back of the eye, like Lucentis and Ilea, et cetera, that last a long period of time on their own, small molecules typically have a half-life of 18, 24 hours. So in order to use them for those conditions, you can't expect an injection every day, so you really have to do something to deliver these things over a sustained period of time. So about a year and a half ago, we started uh, identifying molecules that looked like they were very active in back-of-the-eye conditions. There's a lot of animal models that we can pursue, and we did, and we got very excited about a couple of them. And so, But we knew we had to have a delivery system, so we did a lot of kick-the-tire deals. So. You know, we did uh, what are called materials transfer agreements, MTAs, and we did those with you know, a handful of companies just to see which of the delivery systems was best for our molecule. We just didn't zero in on one and say, we're going to make this work no matter what. We just tried to find the best one for our molecule. And so we did a lot of testing and, and alike, and we did two things. One is we found a polymer 
company in uh, in Europe called DSM, who had done quite a bit of work with a polymer that is used for cardiac stents, not so much yet for other drugs. And so we found that that particular polymer was far more compatible with our drugs hmm. than anything used in the U.S. currently. And so, which is kind of interesting because, you know, you have an awful lot of drug delivery companies all using similar polymers, and we found a totally different one that we think makes most sense for us. But at the same time, we wanted to make sure that we can make this stuff because, I mean, we're talking about pretty precise engineering requirements here, and not every drug delivery company has made it all the way through to where they have GMP-rated facilities. And so... Uh, we needed to find somebody that actually had that scale-up capabilities. And, uh, and we had identified Invisia early on. They happened to be in our building in RTP, just down. It, it's literally the next lab oh, away really? from us. <laughs> yeah. So we knew all their people well, and we had actually used them. And, and uh, they use a more traditional polymer, which at the end of the day wasn't uh, – what we were looking for, but we got enamored with our technology. And so, um, you know, things happened to a lot of these drug delivery companies. Invisia became available um, as an entity. They had some some issues uh, uh, with one of the large pharma companies. And so uh, making an acquisition of the entire company was not in the cards for us, but we were able to acquire the print technology for ophthalmology. Mm-hmm. And along with that, not only do we get this manufacturing capability, which is incredible, it, you know, sometime when, when you've got time, I'll, I'll take you over there and show it to you because it's, it's pretty cool. But at the same time, we were able to get uh, a product that they had. They, they took dexamethasone, which is a pretty well-known steroid, as you know, in ophthalmology. Sure. They actually put it into their polymer using their manufacturing capability, and it looks like they can get activity of you know, six to eight months. Wow. For the treatment of diabetic macular edema, which you think about the current products out there, Osiodex from Allergan and, and Alluvian from Almera, one is works you know, roughly about three months or so. That's the Osiodex product, and the Alluvian works for about two to three years. And so there's certainly a niche there for something that uh, is somewhere in between those two and maybe has you know, hopefully uh, a little bit lower adverse event rates. And so uh, we got excited about that as well. And so uh, obviously we're going to use a print technology for all of our molecules from a manufacturing point of view. So that was that was critical. That was job one. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, uh, we're doing whatever we can to move their uh, what's now called AR1105, which is their dexamethasone, into the clinic sometime before the end of next year. And so it gives us one more product in the pipeline. That's and great. Really, just incredible technology. So it's a great acquisition for us. And next door, all I have to do is knock down, you know, parts of walls, and I can connect the, uh, the labs. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. And you, and you brought no. in, you brought in some of their folks uh, to lead this. You brought in. Some, I know you have some new employees who will focus on the preclinical activity. Are they from Invisia or are they yeah, from outside? Yeah, there's eleven of them that actually we brought in, and these are folks who you know run the gamut of. Anything from some of the toxin pharmacology people that they had, as well as uh, they had uh, uh, formulations uh, guy who was really the you know kind of the brains behind how do you mix this these polymers, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then you know there's a real strong manufacturing guy that knows everything there is to know about how to make it in their platform, the print technology, and then uh, somebody who knows how to test it because um, 
you know, unlike some of the other things, you know, this is, this is something that we're, we need to control the whole process. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll do the formulations, we'll do the manufacturing, and we'll do the chemistry component all in-house, all the way through to finished product stuff. That's great. And I'm sure they're thrilled that their commute hasn't changed one bit, so they're still no, in the same in fact, building. Uh, one of the things that they liked is uh, uh, one of the hallmarks of the way that, that our guys run the company is that uh, a lot of these folks end up with two monitors instead of one, so they were happy about that because it allows <laughs> them to do more work, so theoretically. And then our facilities guy was in there, and we typically stock all the uh, lunchroom with you know free snacks and waters and soft drinks and coffee and all that stuff. And, and obviously, given that uh, they were running on uh, financial fumes there for a while, uh, they're just happy to have a, something to snack on while they're working hard. That's the dream, baby. <laughs> yeah, always. F- always. Uh, finally, we don't want to forget about Rocklazan. You've got some. Uh, you're making some progress there, and uh, you've got some uh, some optimism optimism for next year. Can you just give us a quick update? Sure. Uh, our expectation is that we're going to file the NDA for Rocklazan in Q2 next year, and so we're very very focused on getting that done. You know, the, the folks that uh, have been dealing with the NDA and, and all the questions from the FDA relative to Repressa are also on point to finish up the filing, and so you know, we've been. Um, we should have everything done from a clinical point of view, from a manufacturing point of view. I think we're ready to go there. Uh, we're waiting for the final one-year product stability from the three manufacturing batches that we have to make. And once we get that 12-month stability, that's the that's the the item that's on the critical path before we can file the NDA. And so we remade all those batches uh, sometime in uh, towards the end of February, early March of this year. So a year after that, plus a few, plus a month or so for preparing the documents, and shortly after that, we'll file the NDA. So we're very, very excited about that. Um, we've done all the clinical work that we need to do for the FDA, or for the FDA submission and for what well, we believe FDA approval. In addition to that, because we're also going to be long, uh, uh, getting this product approved uh, outside the United States, we started another clinical trial in Europe called Mercury 3. And that's a combination trial of Rakatan versus a known combination in Europe uh, called Ganfort, uh, which is basically Lumigan plus Timolol. So we're doing a non-inferiority trial against them there. And, and that's more, while well, we'll use it for approval in addition to what we've already done, it's also for pricing purposes. They're one of the highest priced products in Europe. And so I think if we show non-inferiority, we should get the same price. And in Europe, you can do non-inferiority and then test for superiority. And if you get that, then we should get an even better price. And so we're excited about uh, conducting that. Uh, so we just started that trial here about at home two or three weeks ago. Great. Well, we look forward to having that discussion on an upcoming podcast and uh, appreciate you taking some time to give us an update. Not a problem. You take care and you have a great weekend. We'll see you at, uh, in New Orleans at OIS at AO. Yes, we will. All right. Take care. And that is a wrap. Vince Anito of Airy Pharmaceuticals, thanks for joining us on the OIS podcast. Congratulations on the positive review of Repressa. We look forward to following its story going forward. Thank you, OIS podcast listeners, for joining us. As always, if you would do us a few favors, tell your friends about the OIS podcast. If they enjoy ophthalmology innovation as much as you do, give us a positive ranking on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the podcast. That helps. 
shoot me an email. Let me know how we can do a better job here. It's Tom at healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthag is the producer of this podcast and of OIS. Finally, and this is a, kind of a new one, if you would just subscribe to the OIS podcast, if you haven't already subscribed, look on the podcast uh, screen on your listening device. There should be a subscribe there button for you to follow through. Just uh, give that a push and you'll have the OIS podcast sent to your device every single week. So thanks again for listening. Thank you again, Vince Nito. And don't forget, go to OIS.net to see our finalized agenda. And while you're there, register to attend OIS at AAO. We'll see you on November 9th in New Orleans.